Hello there, and welcome to the first episode of What You May Have Mythed. Every week, I will be delving into the depths of a myth, legend, fable, tale, and everything in between from around the world. If, whilst listening to this podcast, you have a question, suggestion of a myth, legend, fable, or tale that you may think might make a good episode, feel free to email me at themythspodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at at mythedpodcast. To kick off this new series, I thought it seemed appropriate to explore a creation myth, a story of how the world came to be. But which creation myth, I hear you query? Genesis or the Japanese creation? The Roman or the Greek? The Egyptian creations or the many Hindu creations? The Maori or Chinese? Cherokee or Creek? Mongolian? Buddhist? Mesopotamian? Zoroastrian? Which one? Well, none of the above. It is the creation story from a religion that has inspired much of the fantasy and fiction we watch and read today. Let's see how many influences you pick up on during this podcast. To find the creation myth that is the topic of the first episode, we are venturing to northern Europe and the shores of Scandinavia into the Norse creation. I would deem it safe to assume that you are familiar with the names Odin, Thor, Loki, Mjolnir and Asgard, especially considering that they have become key figures in many a blockbuster film of late. And if these names are completely alien to you, I would just have to assume that you've been living under a dark rock for your entire existence. Tracing the origins of Norse mythology is problematic, as the Scandinavians told legends orally rather than through writing. We know that the Vikings worshipped the gods Odin and Thor when they landed on the shores of Lindisfarne in 793 AD, but it was not until the 13th century when Icelandic historian Snorri Sturluson composed the Prose Edda that the story behind Norse mythology was made known to the wider world. The mythology of the Scandinavians is the native pagan beliefs and legends that the Nordic people believed in before they were converted to Christianity. The most ardent followers of the Norse religion were the Vikings, and as you will learn, or maybe you already know, they did not gloss over the nastier, more gruesome bits regarding their gods and religion. In fact, they went so far that the dearest ambition of most Viking men was to die a painfully violent death on the field of battle, rather than a quiet and peaceful one in their beds. Each to their own. The story of the Norse creation is, as many creation myths are, one of violence, death, world-building, people-making, dismemberment, and a big cow. So, without any further ado, let us explore the origins of the world as believed by the Vikings. Creation. 
Before the creation of the world, there existed only three things. The dark, mist world, Niflheim, the fire world, Muspel, and between these two worlds, the yawning emptiness of chaos, called Ginungagap. To the north, Niflheim lay freezing, misty and dark. It was a deeply unpleasant place to find oneself, especially if one had forgotten to bring a coat. It was a world of ice and home to a deep well called Hvergelma. Springing from this well rose eleven poisonous rivers that it is said all other rivers come from. The mountains of Niflheim were vast blocks of solid ice and veiled in a freezing arctic mist. To the south, Muspel, the cosmological opposite of Niflheim, sat scorched and burning, much like the planet of lava that appears in a certain space opera. Like Niflheim, it was a highly undesirable place to be, but you definitely wouldn't want your coat here. A swimming costume would probably be more appropriate, but it would still not stop you ending up looking like a barbecued sausage. Standing guard over Muspel is Surta, a being older than the gods, and, for lack of a better description, he's the big bad of Norse mythology. Surta was a giant of a being, and was said to wield an immense sword of flame and rule over the fiery lands of Muspel. Any fantasy monsters springing to mind? Between Niflheim and Muspel was Ginungagap, the chaos in which nothing existed. Even the word Ginungagap means yawning gap, because that's exactly what it was. Nothing like an on-the-nose name for these things. From the north, frost blew, and from the south, great flames reached until they both met in the Ginungagap. There was a great hissing song of ice and fire as the two elements collided in the gap. The flames of Muspel melted the frost of Niflheim. Why, hello there, Game of Thrones. The drops of melted frost from Niflheim fell and formed themselves into the first of the monstrous giants, Ymir, and a great cow, much bigger than the ones we have on Earth today, called Audhumla. Audhumla the cow licked the great mountains of ice for sustenance. Those of you who know your bovine biology know that we get milk from cows, and it was from the udders of Audhumla that Ymir nourished itself. I say itself, as Ymir was neither male nor female, meaning it had the extraordinary ability to produce offspring without having to, you know, anyway. Whilst Ymir slept, exhausted from its day of drinking milk, from between its legs and from under its sweaty armpits, more giants leapt. It is from these giants that all other giants are descended. Whilst Ymir was spontaneously birthing giants left, right and centre, Audhumla the cow was busy licking more of the great ice mountains, and as she did so, the ice melted away to reveal what appeared to be hair. Audhumla, curious about this remarkable discovery, continued to lick for three entire days until, lo and behold, a man appeared. This man's name was Buri, and he was the forefather to all the gods, or Aesir as they were known. Although having just been born from the ice, Buri was full-grown and managed to quickly produce a son, from where is unknown, 
but as we have already seen, peculiar ways of birthing children is not uncommon in Norse mythology. Buri's son went by the name of Bor, which translates imaginatively to son. Bor was wedded to one of the giants known as Bestla, whose name translates as wife. There's that on-the-nose naming of things again. Bor and Bestla had three sons, one of whom I mentioned in the introduction to this episode. Their sons' names were Vili, Ve, and Odin. Now remember, all this happened in the vast chaotic nothingness that was Ginungagap. There was the giant, Ymir, and its giant children, Audhumla the cow, Buri, the ancestor of all the gods, his son and his three grandsons, all crammed unceremoniously into this big nothing. Well, something had to be done about it, and it was Odin, Vili and Ve who were the ones to hatch the plan. Odin and his brothers decided that, rather than live in the misery of Ginungagap, they would create their own world. Sadly, as there was no soil, rock, grass, sky or air, they had to find something that would make a suitable alternative. Being gods, I presume that you're imagining that they would be able to conjure up the materials they needed in order to make their vision a reality, much like God did in the Bible. Well, if you were imagining that, then you'd be very wrong indeed, as this is where the myth gets violent. Odin and his brothers decided that the best course of action in their desire to create a world would be to kill Ymir the giant and use its corpse as the means on which to start construction. And so the death of Ymir brought about the life of the world. When they stabbed Ymir, blood came gushing out in torrents, and it is with this blood that the three brothers created all the oceans. So much blood came out of Ymir, in fact, that it drowned all the giants, save Ymir's grandson, Bergelmir, who managed to escape in a boat with his family and start the giant race afresh. This event is what caused the great friction between the gods and the giants that rages on through the legends of the Nordic folk. Ymir's skin and muscles became the soil, while the bones became the vast mountain ranges and its teeth are the pebbles and stones of the beaches. From Ymir's hair, vegetation sprang, grass, trees, vegetables and weeds. The sky they created using Ymir's skull, and the clouds we see are the remains of Ymir's brain. Using sparks they caught from Muspel, the gods created the stars in the sky in order to light the heavens. As you can probably tell, Ymir had been an exceptionally large giant in order for Odin, Vili and Ve to use its body to make all this. The name that Odin and his brothers gave this new world was Midgard, which means Middle Earth. Out of the remains of Ymir's body, worms crawled, and these worms would become the first dwarves. What a lovely way to come into existence. The gods were worried that the sky they had made from Ymir's skull would fall down, and so they told four of the dwarves that it would be their duty to hold the sky up in the four corners of the world. You can probably, by now, guess the names of these four dwarves, but I will tell you anyway. There was Nordi, North, 
Vestri, West, Sundri, South, and Austri, East. The dwarves who were not press-ganged into holding up the sky built their home deep inside mountains and caves and named it Svartalfheim, the home of the dwarves, also called Nidavellir. The gods were pleased with the world that they had built with Ymir's body. There were lush green fields, great forests, vast mountain ranges, and deep, perilous oceans. To protect this new utopia that they had created from the giant children of Ymir, they used Ymir's eyelashes to create a giant wall around Midgard. It was such a beautiful and tranquil place, and yet there was something still missing man. They had a problem, however. They had used all their Ymir-based resources in building the entire world, and there was nothing left in order to create mankind. Odin, Vili, and Ve pondered over this problem for quite some time, trying, in vain, to come up with any possible solution. Now, you have probably at some point in your life most likely when you were young and your imagination was always in full flow, found a stick or seen a tree that you thought appeared humanoid in shape. Am I right? Well, that is exactly what happened one day when the gods were strolling along the shore, contemplating the mankind problem they had been having. As the brothers were walking, the waves of the sea washed two logs up onto the shore, one of ash and the other of elm. It just so happened that these two logs were conveniently exactly what the gods were looking for. Odin picked up the two sticks and breathed life into them. Now they were no longer bog-standard dead pieces of driftwood, but living, breathing pieces of driftwood. Vili then took over, and into the two logs he breathed movement and intelligence, and thus the two could walk and think. There was still something missing, though, and it was Ve who finished the job. He gave, to the now two fairly anthropomorphic logs, shape, speech, hearing, sight, and the appropriate appendages that make it possible to discern between males and females. The ash tree he gave the appearance of a man, and the elm tree he gave the appearance of a woman. You may remember that at this point in the myth we are currently on the beach and the two naked humans that now stood in front of the gods were a bit chilly. So the gods made them some lovely warm clothes. The last thing the brothers did was name the pair. Ask, which means ash, and embla, which means elm. Strike three for the obvious naming. These two humans are from whom all other humans are descended, and they were left safe and sound on Midgard, protected from the outside by the eyelash walls the gods had built. Above Midgard, the gods built their own fortified home, which they called Asgard, enclosure of the Aesir. Odin is called Allfather, as from high up in Asgard he could look down on earth and smile, much in the same way a parent does when their baby is in a crib, for Odin is father to us all. 
Yggdrasil and the Nine Realms In the centre of the spiritual Norse cosmos stands Yggdrasil, an ash tree of gargantuan proportions. The tree is so vastly huge that its roots reach into three of the nine realms. One makes its home in Niflheim, the realm of ice, mist and darkness. The second is rooted in Jotunheim, the land of the giants descended from Ymir. The third realm Yggdrasil plants itself is Asgard, the home of the gods. The entire cosmos is laid out around Yggdrasil, and the branches and roots of the tree bind all the nine realms together. At the foot of Yggdrasil, the monstrous dragon, Nidhogg, dwells, gnawing the roots of the tree and feasting on corpses. It is entirely possible to climb the world tree, and indeed Odin did climb it in order to hang himself in sacrifice, but that's a story for another episode. The gods, however, did not climb the tree, except when Odin hanged himself. Instead, the gods used a rainbow bridge that they called the Bifrost. This bridge could only be used by the gods and was guarded by the god Heimdall. If a giant decided they fancied a venture onto it, then their feet would become scorched and Heimdall would reduce them to nothing more than a red veneer on the floor. In Norse mythology there are, as I have said, Nine realms in which the many different races of beings lived in unpeaceful harmony. Four of these realms you already know of, and the fifth I have just briefly mentioned, but here they are for you, all nine of them. Asgard, the home of the Aesir gods, where Odin, Vili, Ve, and the other gods lived. Niflheim, the dark land of mist. Jotunheim, the land of the frost giants and one of the realms Yggdrasil has its roots in. Alfheim, the land of the beautiful light elves. Svartalfheim, also called Nidavellir, where the dwarves lived under the ground, crafting their extraordinary creations. Muspel, the land of the fire giants and ruled over by Surta. Vanaheim, the home of the Vanir gods. We will meet these in a future podcast. Helheim, the land of the dead, and where we get the English word hell. And Midgard, the place we call home, made for us by Odin, Billy, and Ve. And there we have it, the Norse creation myth. What did you make of it? Of all the Norse myths, this one is relatively tame in comparison to many of the others, despite the vicious mutilation of poor old Ymir. As you may recall from the top of this item, the Norse creation has had a strong influence on some of the most popular fantasy and science fiction of today. How many of the not-so-subtle inspirations did you pick up on? And can you blame them? With such an imaginative way of creating the world, it's hardly surprising that so many authors beg, borrow and steal from Norse mythology and blend it into their own works. You may also have picked up on certain similarities between the Norse creation and other creation stories from other world religions, am I right? I could spend another half an hour of your time going into detail about all the connections and similarities to other belief systems, but I'm not going to. After we have travelled around the world a bit more and studied more of the myths from other cultures, 
then maybe I will do a special episode in which we explore the many links that connect the numerous religions. But that won't be for a short while at least. I have many more episodes planned for you before we get to that point. And it begins straight away in next week's episode, where we will be journeying away from Scandinavia and travelling west towards Mexico. If you would like to drop me a message, email me at themythspodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at at mythedpodcast. In the meantime, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, share it with your friends and family, but most importantly, stay safe, and I will see you next week for episode two.